0: Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 105, Looking Back on Ottoman Decline, Part 2. First, as always, I want to thank our newest patrons. There's Daniel Mayram, Ivan Ivanov, and Ryan Zlatanova. Thanks so much to all of you and everyone else. You know, consider supporting even just $1 an episode. Now, let's get into it. So we left off last time with the end of an Ottoman war with Russia and Poland. At this moment, Protestant nobles in Hungary were angry at Catholic Habsburg rule and requesting Ottoman support. The aim Would be to finally conquer Vienna, the goal that even Suleiman the Magnificent had failed at a century earlier. The city was ravaged by plague, and the Habsburgs were internally divided. There wouldn't be a better chance for the Ottomans, and they spent nearly two years preparing a massive invasion force, giving the Austrians ample time to prepare for their arrival. In 1683, nearly 200,000 Ottomans and allies marched. For Vienna. The city was defended by only around 16,000, with Polish reinforcements on their way as the Pope attempted to build a holy league to fight back. By the time the Ottomans reached the city, the winter was fast on its way, adding pressure to their campaign. Plague and hunger ravaged both sides as the brutal attacks on the city walls continued. By August, the Ottomans had made major gains and taken several portions of the city walls. But just then, a Habsburg army defeated an Ottoman force nearby and then waited for the Poles to arrive before attempting to relieve the city. By September, the Polish forces had arrived and they were ready for an attack. A massive battle outside the city walls ensued. The Ottomans were about to blow up 10 massive bombs under the walls, but they were disarmed by the defenders at the last moment. Thirteen hours of brutal fighting later, and the Ottomans were broken by the famous Wing Hussar cavalry of Poland. The Ottoman force collapsed and broke, resulting in a costly and humiliating defeat for them. The immediate threat to Central Europe was finally gone, but the war had only just begun. The next year, a holy league was formed against the Ottomans, bringing Venice into the conflict and widening the front considerably. The first fighting was in Hungary, where imperial forces took many important cities on their way to Buda. Soon, they had taken Pest and were laying siege to 7,000 Ottomans inside Buda across the river. However, after months of siege and tens of thousands of losses, they were forced to withdraw in failure. Meanwhile, the Venetians began attacking Ottoman possessions in Greece, quickly conquering a swath of territory there. Now, despite their ultimate victory at Buda, the Ottomans were doing pretty badly in Hungary at this point. As a result, the man they were backing to become king of Hungary was having some second thoughts and discussed switching sides. However, the Habsburg terms were simply too much, and so he remained with the Ottomans. Despite this, though, He was soon imprisoned by the Ottomans as many of his supporters surrendered to the Habsburgs who were now focused yet again on taking that critical city and fortress of Buda. It took them nearly 100,000 men, but they finally did it, taking the city after 143 years of Ottoman rule. Thousands of Muslims and Jews from the city were massacred as a result. In southern Greece, the Venetians had brought in more mercenaries in an attempt to conquer the region. The fighting there was brutal, with yet more massacres on both sides. Disease also took a terrible toll. But over the next year, the Venetians gradually made progress, taking fortress after fortress. By 1686, they had effectively conquered southern Greece, and the Ottomans were on the back foot. Meanwhile, the erstwhile Hungarian king was released from an Ottoman prison to lead an Ottoman attack on Transylvania. In Bulgaria, a Sepahi and descendant of the last Bulgarian Tsars was proclaimed Prince of Bulgaria in Turnival, but the first Turnival uprising was very quickly and very brutally put down. Then, Russia and Poland signed an alliance which brought the Russian state into war against the Ottomans as well, that same year, 1686, also saw the end of the Devshirme in Bulgaria. The next year, 1687, a massive Russian army marched south to block the Crimean Tatars in Crimea. But the army moved tremendously slowly with very poor logistics, and faced scorched-earth tactics by the Tatars, leading to the campaign's total failure. Still, the Venetians controlled southern Greece, and a Holy League army was moving into Croatia. An Ottoman army met them and pushed them back into Hungary, where the Ottomans were eventually soundly defeated. In Greece, the Venetians took Athens and accidentally destroyed most of the Parthenon in the process. The war was now going so badly for the Ottomans that the Sultan was overthrown and replaced with his brother, Sultan Suleiman II. The next year, after the Holy League advanced towards Belgrade, it was conquered after some months of fighting. Now at this moment, preparations for an uprising were underway in chiprovtsi Bulgaria, aided by the work of Catholic Bulgarians like Petr Bogdan and Petr Petrovich. However, like the one in Turnival, this uprising was very quickly and brutally crushed. Then, suddenly, A ray of hope opened for the Ottomans, as the France of Louis XIV suddenly invaded the Holy Roman Empire, forcing the Austrians to withdraw many forces to meet the French threat. Meanwhile, the Russians mounted yet another massive southward invasion, but again poor logistics scuttled the effort. In Macedonia, the Austrian army made major progress, but decided that there was no way it could hold on to its gains, and so it withdrew and in the process put the city of Skopje to the torch. Still, the Austrian presence in the region inspired yet more Bulgarian uprisings, leading to yet more brutal reprisals against them. Now, it was time for the Ottoman counterattack. Their army quickly advanced, retaking Belgrade in less than a week. The Ottomans also made progress in Greece. And, it was at this moment that the II died and was succeeded by his brother Ahmed II. The Austrians were moving a large army south and the Ottomans sent a force to meet them but were badly beaten, ending with the death of the Grand Vizier. And with this, the war settled into more or less a three-year stalemate. In Russia, Tsar Peter the Great was determined to make up for the past failures of his army trying to move south with bad logistics and such, but... His campaigns failed before, and he finally succeeded in taking Azov and gaining a warm water port. The new Sultan then died, you know, making a, a nice pattern here, and the 31 year old Mustafa II took the reins. The Austrians were now able to devote their full attention to the Ottomans, with the situation with France taken care of, and they inflicted another crushing defeat, leading to the end of the war and the signing of the Treaty of Karlovitz. Southern Greece was formed into the kingdom of Morea under Venetian control. The Austrians took Hungary, much of Croatia, and Slavonia, and now had Transylvania under their control instead of that of the Ottomans. Austria's gains really cemented it as a regional superpower, and the Russians got Azov. The 18th century began with this new reality. Venice now controlled a new kingdom, but... Morea in Greece was severely depopulated and weak. In response, Venice pushed a quarter of a million immigrants to the territory and began constructing fortresses. But this couldn't change the fact that the Orthodox population disliked being ruled by the Catholic Venetians. Back in Constantinople, the sultan retreated from public life as the Grand Vizier attempted to make reforms. But the growing number and power of the Janissaries prevented this. The government reacted by making Timar's status hereditary, essentially creating a kind of hereditary aristocracy, just the kind of aristocracy the Ottomans had always tried to prevent occurring in the lands they controlled. Instead of creating a power balance with the Janissaries, however, these elites ultimately began to run things on the ground as they pleased and abuse local populations, especially in Bulgaria, as we'll learn more about. In Constantinople, these policies culminated in Janissaries not being paid, and so they marched on the capital, killed the sultan, and replaced him, and subsequently began to act like they ran the empire. In 1709, following a defeat by the Russians, the Swedish king fled to the Ottomans, triggering yet another war with Russia. Mixed military results on both sides didn't really matter as more Swedish victories pushed the Russians to sign a peace treaty which returned Azov to the Ottomans. The Moldavians and Wallachians had actually sided with the Russians and were punished. In part, this pushed the Ottomans to have them ruled by Phanariot Greeks from Constantinople instead of by local boyars. The Ottomans then decided that this was the right moment to retake Morea in Greece. In a few short months, the Kingdom of Morea was conquered, and after this victory, they declared war on Austria, determined to avenge their losses 17 years earlier. The army they sent north, though, was badly beaten, and as the Ottomans pulled back, the Austrians attacked Belgrade. The city fell after a long and brutal siege. The resulting Treaty of Passarowitz was signed in 1718 resulted in the Ottomans retaking Morea but losing territory in Serbia and Bosnia, resulting in the establishment of the Kingdom of Serbia under Austrian control. The Ottoman period which followed is called the Tulip Era, a time during which Ottoman elites exercised power through conspicuous consumption instead of military victory and conquest as before. The decade of the 1720s was largely peaceful and focused on these activities as the Ottomans fell further behind Europe economically and militarily. During this time, the Janissaries also continued to grow in number and influence as they gradually became a part of the urban economic fabric within the Ottoman Empire. Now, they became entrenched defenders of the status quo in economic as well as political and military matters. During this time, the first printing presses also came to Bulgaria and to the wider Ottoman Empire. Though there was one military conflict during this decade, as an Afghan tribe and the Russians attacked a weakened Safavid Persia. This resulted in a treaty which saw Persia divided up amongst these powers. But the Afghans were furious that the Ottomans had stepped in and taken territory in the treaty without really doing anything to earn it, and so the two briefly went to war before deciding to divide up more Persian territory as a way to kind of resolve the whole thing. By 1730, a new Safavid ruler had risen up and thrown out the Afghans before turning to the Ottomans to get revenge. The Ottomans were utterly unprepared for this war and were soundly defeated. These losses along with the economic troubles that they were facing in the capital led to a janissary uprising which forced the sultan to abdicate. In other words, the tulip era in the Ottoman Empire was definitely over. In the east, the Safavids made yet more gains before being outmaneuvered and defeated, resulting in their losing all their recent gains. The shah was deposed the military man who deposed the Shah then took control and attacked the Ottomans himself. Russia got into the mix and returned territory it had taken to the Persians in order to join the war against the Ottomans with the aim of regaining Azov. The Ottomans faced crushing defeats in the Caucasus, while the Russians successfully conquered both Azov and the Crimean Peninsula. Then, to make matters worse for the Ottomans, Austria joined the war as well. But Luckily for them, this was just as the Persians were making peace. And all this triggered a Serbian and Bulgarian uprising in support of the Austrians. But those uprisings were, unsurprisingly, brutally crushed. The Ottomans soon laid siege to Belgrade, which they quickly re-re-re-retook. I've lost track of how many retakings there have been at Belgrade, but they took it back. And this shocked the Austrians, leading to their quick exit from the war. The resulting agreement between the powers ended the Kingdom of Serbia, and the Ottomans retook territory, triggering a, I think maybe the second major migration of Serbs into Austrian lands. Now the Russians, for their part, made gains, but they were very worried about Austria's exit from the war, and so they signed a peace treaty, which had them only gain Azov. But it wasn't long before the Persians came back to fight again, in their case, determined to regain Iraq. The Ottoman army sent to meet them was beaten and massacred by the Persian forces. Peace was made, and the Persians gained territory, though the Ottomans, oddly enough, kept Baghdad, which essentially meant the Ottomans cut off easy. Meanwhile, in Arabia, a radical form of puritanical Islam called Wahhabism was rising alongside a new state which would eventually become Saudi Arabia. The sultan also died, and his successor called for more cultural conservatism in the Ottoman realm, so this was a wider theme in the Islamic world here. But this new sultan soon died, and his successor sought to enact greater reforms to keep the empire from falling further behind. Now, around this time, in 1762, a man named Paisi Hilendarski finally completed his famous Slavo-Bulgarian history, a text which will eventually contribute substantially to growing Bulgarian national consciousness. But that's a ways into the future. Now further north, Russia, now under the rule of Catherine the Great, was exerting more and more influence over the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, leading to a rebellion there which was crushed. However, some rebels made it into Ottoman territory, leading to war between Russia and the Ottomans. Soon, the Russians had successfully swept down and taken Wallachia and Moldavia. Then, with Russian backing, the Greeks began a rebellion which was snuffed out within a year. All the while, the Ottoman fleet lost several major battles to the Russians, showing how far behind the Ottomans were falling when it came to naval warfare, and the Russians also won a major victory against the Tatars. Then, as things were going badly for the Ottomans, Egypt essentially declared independence. But just at this moment, a truce was signed because the European powers wanted to ensure Russia didn't take too much Ottoman territory, signaling a shift in how politics functioned. Eventually, even Russia would occasionally follow this line. Tsar Alexander I would go so far as to say, It is one of the fundamental principles of my political system to contribute in every way to preserve the empire of Turkey, the weakness and bad internal administration of which constitute valuable guarantees of security, end quote. And now he said that when he ascended the throne in 1801, which is jumping forward a bit, but it does give you an idea of how kind of paying lip service to the maintenance of the Ottoman Empire is going to become a major theme in European politics. Now, a part of this shift to more cooperation in European politics was also the first partition of Poland with the danger of a new Prussian state expanding was being essentially solved by partitioning Poland and giving Prussia that cookie, if you want to think of it that way. And with that first partition of Poland, Russia decided to re-enter the war against the Ottomans. The prospective leader of Egypt, you know, after its independence, was soon killed in fighting, though, which put an end to the dream of Egyptian independence for the time being. Then, in Constantinople, the sultan died and was succeeded by his brother. The next year, 1774, the Russian army actually made it south of the Danube for the very first time. Now, despite the fact that this was a tiny army, it defeated the Ottomans and forced the Treaty of Kuchuk-Kainarka on them. Although Russia did control Wallachia and Moldavia at this point, the European powers insisted the Ottomans retain control there. Instead of that territory, Russia was given the right to protect all Christians in the Ottoman Empire, and Crimea was made independent, but really under Russian dominance. Russia also gained more ports and territory along the Black Sea, along with the right for its merchant ships to pass through the Dardanelles, further entrenching its position as a power on that sea. Now, with this treaty, Russia, not Austria, was now the power to which people in the Balkans looked for liberation from the Ottomans. Also, after Kucukainarka, it's estimated that 160,000 Bulgarians fled the country. Still, despite the chaos in Bulgarian lands and events like this, economic growth in the latter half of the 1700s did see Bulgaria become a bigger producer of cotton, tobacco, wax, and rice from the Moritza Valley as well as animal husbandry, especially sheep, which was sold, which were generally sold to the local Muslim populations in cities. Now, over the next few years, the Sultan attempted to strengthen Ottoman control over its Middle Eastern territories as Russia exerted its dominance over Crimea. This was also the moment the French Revolution began, throwing Europe into turmoil. Now, These events pushed Austria to make peace with the Ottomans, despite Russia making further gains. Now, remarkably, Belgrade and much of Serbia was actually given back to the Ottomans, as Austria took only minor territory despite its victories. This triggered yet more Serbian exiles fleeing Ottoman reprisals. Russia, for its part, fought on a bit longer, as the European powers made agreements to curb the influence of the French Revolution before ending the war with the Treaty of Yassi, essentially gaining some territory and having their full control of Crimea recognized. Poland, partly inspired by the French Revolution, attempted to make some modernizing reforms, only to be invaded by the conservative Russia in response. As Russia joined the first coalition against France, it agreed to the second partition of Poland, making the state yet smaller and yet weaker. This triggered riots in Poland, and the country was carved up a third and final time, eliminating the state from the map of Europe entirely. Now, around this time, the Ottoman ruler of Vidin rebelled and created a microstate as bandits roamed throughout Bulgarian territory, attacking villages and plundering everywhere. These activities had substantial demographic impacts, increasing the population of towns, as trading and manufacturing increased there because they offered more protection from both autocratic ayans, local rulers, and roaming bandits. For the moment, though, a massive Ottoman army was sent to crush the new state on Bulgarian territory, but the Ottomans were surprisingly defeated. Seeing how needed it was, Sultan Selim formed a new modern European-style army designed to ultimately one day hopefully replace the Janissaries. But it was at this moment, 1798, that Napoleon took control in France. Sultan Selim was actually seeking French assistance to modernize the Ottoman army. But, unsurprisingly, the Janissaries opposed this. Instead, Napoleon struck out to invade Ottoman Egypt in a bid to block the British trade through India. Despite limited Ottoman control in Egypt, Selim felt he had no choice but to declare war on France. Soon after Napoleon landed, his fleet was destroyed by the British, and he responded by going on the attack, moving up through Syria, before basically realizing his position was very weak and retreating back to Egypt. He soon was forced to return to France, leaving his army in Egypt to fend for itself. Now, it took two years, but French forces did ultimately surrender and the Ottomans retook control there although their control in Egypt would never be as strong as it once was. Now, within a few years, an Albanian named Muhammad Ali would begin a rise to power there. In addition, the growing Saudi state soon took Mecca and Medina from the Ottomans, which was a major blow to their prestige in the Islamic world. Now, with Egypt taken care of, the Ottomans attempted to attack that microstate based in Vidin once again, but were unable to make any progress there and were furthermore unable to really suppress rebels operating throughout Bulgaria, showing just how far central power had declined. Meanwhile, dissatisfied Janissaries effectively took over the Ottoman-Serbian territories, leading to terrible misrule and abuse there. Local Serbs planned an uprising in favor of a return to central Ottoman rule, but the Janissaries got there first, massacring many Serb leaders before they could begin to rise up. A powerful local man named Karajorj soon rose up himself to lead the Serbian uprising as Serb forces defeated small armies sent against them. Sultan Selim now had to decide whether to support the rebels or not. Ultimately, pressure from religious elites forced him not to support them. But despite this, the Serbs had success. They took Smederovo and Belgrade, establishing a Serbian state. Selim for his part was concerned with pushing his new order army out of the provinces but when he attempted to get the you know new forces designed to ultimately kind of replace the janissaries into some local garrisons the janissaries blocked him and well, were successful showing how powerful they remained in Europe following a massive french victory at the battle of austerlitz the ottomans allied with france leading Russia and Britain to declare war against the Ottoman Empire. Russia quickly occupied Wallachia and Moldavia yet again. And, in a rare moment of good news for the Ottomans, the leader of that little Vedan microstate died, and the territory was reincorporated. But, well, the Russians were still next door. The British attempted to attack Constantinople by sea, but their ships only made it to the Sea of Marmara, as the coastal defenses were enough to really prevent them. Still, the Russian fleet did succeed in blockading the Dardanelles, leading to the typical blockade problems in Constantinople. Then, Sultan Selim was finally deposed in a Janissary-backed coup and replaced by his cousin, Mustafa IV. Riots racked the capital as the Janissaries enacted revenge on their enemies, but The new sultan had no better luck than his cousin, as the Ottomans failed to kick the Russians out and saw their only proper naval fleet completely destroyed in battle. But then, another major Napoleonic victory against Russia forced the Russians to become a French ally, just as the Serbs allied themselves with Russia. In other words, the alliances became a total mess. And that's where this season ends. I want to briefly quote some sources that reflect the 18th century more broadly, uh, to kind of give us a wrap-up here. Now, historian Mark Mazaur, reflecting on the Ottoman Empire during the 18th century, wrote, quote, Cocooned in privilege, the conservative majority, the wise men of the Islamic hierarchy, the ulema, and the bloated officer classes in the army, resisted the encroachment of European ideas and administrative systems, seeing in them a threat to Ottoman tradition. Although the empire was a well-established prop on the international stage, its sultans and viziers declined to play an active role in the drama. Watching from the wings as Spain, Britain, Holland, and France developed into great commercial empires, they ignored the influx of large amounts of gold and silver into European markets. Such fundamental shifts in the global economy, they assumed, were of no concern to the protected markets of the empire. This was a serious miscalculation. End quote. further wrote that, quote, Throughout the century, the quality of Ottoman administration was in decline. Tax farming spread to the detriment of the peasant. The Janissaries became less and less disciplined as their numbers increased. And in some areas, commercial agriculture appeared with the production of cash crops such as cotton. And in these areas, the exploitation of the peasants increased considerably. The most serious problem, particularly in the second half of the century, was the failure of the central government to control the Ayans. The Ayans were overmighty subjects. In origin, they could be local officials who had simply turned their area of responsibility into a personal fiefdom. The most famous among them were Osman Pazvandolu who controlled over 200 villages in the Vidin region, but there were many others, such as Ismail Tristanikriolu in Russe or Ikololu in Silistra. The rise of these ayans led to a virtual breakdown in central government in the Balkans, a period known in Bulgaria as Kyrgyzstvo. Its effect on the villages of Vilinsa in southern Macedonia in the 1780s were described by the English traveller E.D. Clark. Now, quote within a quote, he said, quote, They are at present in a most wretched condition, owing to the extortions of Ali Pasha, or those who have plundered in his name. In the short space of six months, they have paid to his tax gatherers, as they told us, 80 purses, a sum equivalent to 40,000 piastres. Poverty is the very apparent in their dwellings. Now, can it be otherwise? Where the wretched inhabitants are so oppressed by their lords, the whole of the earnings of the peasant is here taken from him he is scarcely allowed any means of subsistence add to this the frequent calamities of sickness and fire and plague and pestilence and famine will be found to have done their work the village has been twice burned in one year by banditti. so End oh, ending all the quotes so There's just a little bit of a general sense of the the 18th century and a nice firsthand account of just what Bulgarian and nearby lands were facing and why the kind of economic ravages of the instability of this period in Ottoman history were, were so, so damaging. And with this, I'll end this season, this season's recap episodes. Next time, we'll return to 1807 where the Napoleonic Wars and the Bulgarian National Revival, as well as the dawn of a new era of history, are all coming our way. So, you won't want to miss it. This episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven. Check out the Bulgarian language version of the podcast at bghistorypodcast.com. There's a link with more info about this particular episode in the description. Catch you next time.